Hello and welcome back to the InfraDig podcast, which today sees us break from the norm on two fronts. First of all, I'm physically sitting in the same room as my interviewee, which, after all this time, is kind of strange. And secondly, this is one of our new style of podcast, delving into how things work. Now, why are we doing this? Well, from conversations around the market, there's clearly a wealth of knowledge out there on so many subjects, infra and energy. But sometimes that knowledge can be a little thin. What shall I call it? Shallow? To this end, I'm embarking on a series of podcasts that delve into how infra and energy assets actually work. And we're launching today with a podcast on interconnectors. Now let's stop and think about why we're doing this. Across the infrastructure and energy sectors, billions of dollars worth of projects are being financed every year. And then in the fund space, billions of dollars worth of assets are being bought and sold each year, often for more than they're actually worth. So my thinking is, shouldn't those who lend to them or buy them actually understand what they do and how they do it? But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me make my introductions. Me, I'm Angus Leslie Melville, Editorial Director of IJ Global, Infrastructure Journal, and I'm the host of the InfraDig podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, let me explain the InfraDig mission. We at IJ Global use these fireside chats to interview leading figures across the global infrastructure and energy community to shine a light on matters of import. And today we have an interesting specialist to talk to. I have with me Nicholas Persson, Managing Director of the Global Grid Integration Business Unit at Hitachi Energy. And, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about interconnectors. Nicholas, welcome to InfraDig. Thank you. Nice to be here, Angus. Excellent. And in person. Okay, first things first. Nicholas, tell us a bit about yourself and the role you play at Hitachi Energy. Bearing in mind, brevity, it's an art form. Thank you, Angus, and good to be here and uh, to chat with you. So my name is Nicholas Persson. I'm... Uh, I have been with Hitachi Energy for 25 years now. I'm currently the executive vice president and BUMD for grid integration. So what we do, we actually integrate uh, systems to manage the transmission and energy flow in the energy grid. And I've been with this company, as I said, 25 years in various positions. And I really love it. And especially today where our purpose is really strong uh, and uh, valuable for the people and the earth. Excellent. Yep. Thank you for keeping it brief. <laughs> right. Let's get down to business. Uh, to my mind, interconnectors are going to play a pivotal role in the market as nations seek to achieve energy security. And we've seen a lot of news on this front in recent weeks. Now, as mentioned earlier, your primary function in today's podcast, before we take a look at the wider market, is to explain what essentially is an interconnector and how do they work? Over to you. So an interconnector is actually connecting two different energy systems. So it can be either in the same country where we connect uh, different uh, frequencies, 50 or 60 hertz, like in Japan. So to connect uh, the island with the two energy systems. Uh, it can also be between uh, France and Germany on land. Um, and normally they are then connected on a synchronous AC network. 
Mm-hmm. But the, what we talk when we talk about interconnectors, we talk about the sea interconnectors or long distance interconnectors between different countries. Mm-hmm. So they are asynchronous systems, and normally they cannot be connected in a normal AC system. With that, we use a technology that we call HVDC or high voltage direct current, mm-hmm. where you convert AC to DC, you transmit the energy on DC, and then you come back um, on DC on another converter station and com- convert it back to AC, and then it goes into the normal grid. Mm-hmm. And that's an interconnector. And how does it work? Uh, so HVDC, is, it's a fantastic technology that we have been pioneering since more than 70 years. So actually, it is a converter that we, we use to convert the AC current Mm-hmm. into DC current, alternating current, and direct current. Direct. Mm-hmm. And we use what we call a power semiconductor to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we have done that, we transmit the power. And the, the good thing with an HVDC system is that you have much less losses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So normally we say over long distances, AC lose about 10% efficiency. And a DC converter is up to 1%. So you have a much higher efficiency when you convert from AC to DC. In addition that you can transmit it over long distances mm-hmm. uh, and bulk power. You also have um, a feature, especially in today's HVDC, which we call the VEC te- technology or the voltage source technology, where you actually can integrate renewables mm-hmm. and keep frequency and voltage stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you connect intermittent energy sources like right. wind and solar, um, so no, to to you know, we, we, what the, the the reason we're doing these podcasts is really to better understand the asset. Um, why do you lose less energy from DC than I mean, ten percent, one percent? That, that's a big difference. Why is it such a difference? So in AC, you have higher heat dissipation. And in DC, you can you have less heat dissipation, and it's it's as simple as that when you convert it like that. So then, uh, it is more efficient to do it in DC. You have less heat dissipation mm. uh, when when you do it like that. And the real benefit of an interconnector uh, is that if you take a project that we have done within Hitachi Energy called Nordlink, that is oh. connecting Norway with Germany, mm-hmm. we have the Norwegian hydropower, which you can say is a huge battery. Mm. Yes. where you can store energy mm-hmm. and you have the, the German wind power today. Mm-hmm. So when the wind is blowing in Germany, uh, more than they can use, mm-hmm. you can actually reverse the power from Germany to Norway and you can uh, use um, renewable power in Norway when you are saving the hydropower in the dam. Mm-hmm. And when the, the wind is not blowing in Germany, you can then use the hydropower to uh, feed energy into Germany. Just a clever balancing act. Okay, so essentially that's what um, interconnectors are and how they work. And a term you've been re- using repeatedly there is HVDC. Um, how about you take a moment to explain just what that means? To your mind, would you say that HVDC is the preferred method? method? Well, clearly, from what you're saying, it's the preferred method for transferring large amounts of power over long distances, yeah? So if you, yes, of course. So you have less, if you take um, where the invention or inception of HVDC was to transfer bulk power over long distances, 
having less footprint, meaning less overhead line, uh, because it's just two conductors instead of three conductors, so the footprint is less. You have less energy losses over long distances, and you can connect remote load centers from where you have the generation of a long distances. So you take typically Sweden is a country, US, India, China, where you connect it from over long distances. So it's clearly the preferred solutions in the past over long distances. Mm-hmm. Now it has moved into the new technology, which I said, which is the voltage source technology, mm-hmm. which is based on the power semiconductor, where we can control the voltage and the frequency in a much better way. So mm-hmm. it's the preferred solution when we want to integrate renewables mm-hmm. from relatively long distances mm-hmm. into the network, because you can stabilize voltage and frequencies. So typically when you are more than 100 kilometers far from shore and you have an offshore wind park, mm. the HVDC is the only solution yeah. that will yeah. be effective. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, there, there was a project, I think it's uh, Bitten the Dirt, um, which is a shame because it was rather exciting. It was from Greenland to the north of England and they were definitely going to be looking at this, but uh, I can't remember the name of the project off the top of my head, but um, I haven't heard anything about it for a long time. So I imagine that that's gone the way of so many things. No, but I think that this is very interesting. If you're in this business over a long time, there are many good projects that have mm. been uh, let's seeing the, the light and then it's uh, put under the table for some time. But many of them come back when it's mm. mature and when you have uh, the right ability to finance, mm-hmm. as you are talking about. So you have the right financial structure for it and you have the right dynamics around it. So it, it can be a profitable project. Okay. And if you can, um, if you take Greenland as an example, I think that has nothing to do with the HVDC as a technology. It's mm. more on the cable side, yeah. where you have huge depth. Yeah. So the technology is not really mature on the cable side yet no. to connect there. But there is a lot of innovation ongoing on the cable side as well. So maybe that project is viable well, sooner than later. Yeah. Okay. I won't write it off so quickly. Then. Um, maybe it'll be coming back to us. Okay. So. Wonderful, thank you for that. Um, you've answered a lot of questions there that many infrastructure professionals will have been too embarrassed to ask, and arguably that they should have known the answer to. Um, I definitely learned something there, so that's good. Um, I think right now it'd be helpful if you could run through, and you did go into this a bit, but I think we can go in a bit more. Um, if you could run through how interconnected grids help to integrate renewable energy, which um, it's all the more important, you know, energy security at the moment with what's going on in Ukraine. Um, these are all really important things. So how, how is it going to help um, interconnected grids integrating renewable energy? Yeah. So Wind Europe has uh, the estimation that we need to have about 300 gig additional gigawatt mm-hmm. of wind power in Europe uh, within 2050. Which is a large amount of power that we need to to do. If we do it like we do it today, where you have basically offshore and you have a radial connection, Mm -hmm. there is a large amount of uh, wind power generation, platforms, cables with one single point of contact. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not the most efficient way of using the wind generation or the wind resource Mm -hmm. uh, just to have one point of connection. So imagine you have a wind farm in the North Sea that can connect UK, Belgium, Denmark, and you transmit the energy to to the one that is needing it in an efficient way. You need much less investment. Mm -hmm. So it's more effective to invest in that way. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and you can dispatch the energy where the energy is needed for the time being. So there are studies where you can have a significant amount of reduction to generate the 300 gigawatt with less uh, financial burden, so to say, into the system. This demands a very, uh, let's say, advanced technology in terms of connecting various interconnectors mm -hmm. in a meshed grid. And what we say from Hitachi Energy that technology here is not yet the barrier, it's not the barrier today. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, from a technology perspective, proven that we have uh, we are ready to actually embark on this journey mm -hmm. uh, together with other OEMs. But what we need now is um, uh, the framework and the regulation to really support this. And we are not there yet, but okay. we know that European Commission is working on a program to, to see how you get remunerated, how investments get uh, paid back and who takes the risk uh, at what level. Mm. So there is still some work to do from the political side, but from a technology side, we are ready to actually embark on this journey. Right, you're ready to rock. You're just waiting for the politicians to catch up with you. Yeah, it's needed because otherwise the the uh, the, the yeah. people that will invest in this are not going to invest on that unless uh -huh. there is certainty on how you get actually remunerated. Absolutely, absolutely. We all want to get paid. Um, to, to your knowledge, how many interconnectors are currently in operation? So we say about two hundred HVDC systems. Two hundred. Um, that are connected today and from a Hitachi Energy on the on the old technology, the thyristor-based technology or the classic, as we say, mm -hmm. we have built about 50% of those. Right. And on the VEC um, technology, we have built about 70% of that, oh. these interconnectors. That's a, quite a dominant position. And, and these are all over the world, aren't they? They are all over the world, from, from Japan to US, actually. Yeah. So, But uh, I must say that the market is now very strong, demanding this uh, type of interconnectors in Europe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We see a, a surge coming in US. Right. Also offshore wind, but also potentially interconnectors in US, mm -hmm. uh, where permitting is the limiting factor of, right. uh, to, to, in, to introduce this type of technology in US. But of course, China, India is also using this type of technology to a large extent. Right. Well, I mean, it's, uh, well, given your footprint, I um, suppose you're looking forward to a bit of a bean feast there. There's a few deals coming down the line and uh, you know, experience always tells, so nice place to be. <laughs> um, now, in recent times, uh, interconnectors really have shot up the political agenda and it feels like any project that had been trundling through procurement has stepped up a gear. Now, in late March, IG Global, we were reporting on the financial close of GreenLink. Now, that's a 500 megawatt interconnector linking Ireland and the UK. Uh, th this was a 500 million euro project that brought eight banks to the table. Um, at the moment, we've also got NoiConnect, the 1.4 gigawatt interconnect between the UK and Germany. Uh, this one's rapidly approaching financial close. Um, also interestingly, with this deal, there's a minority equity stake that has also been sold. Um, I read this the other day. I'm quietly hoping that it hasn't reached financial close or the stake being sold behind my back. But, uh, you know, that's the way these things go. The date today is 27 April, just to bullet point that. Um, now, these are two interesting deals, but that's just scratching the surface. There's a host of interconnect projects out there going through procurement and um, being planned, and you're on a fair number of them. 
Can you tell us about some of your projects, please? No, thank you, Angus. Uh, yes, I mean, currently we have uh, we have the largest backlog we ever had in the HVDC in terms of HVDC projects, uh, and we have uh, during twenty twenty one been awarded a couple of really good ones. I mean, the extension of the Doggy Bank projects here in UK. So the third one, the Doggy Bank C, we are currently executing. It's a in total a three point two gigawatt project connecting offshore to shore here in uk so we are really proud of being part of that uh, important project where we have reduced the uh, the footprint of the platform we have increased the the efficiency of the system to to an extent that uh, comparable to other system there is uh, about uh, 50 60 percent reduction in losses so it's it's really a very interesting project in addition, we have what we call the first interconnector in Middle East between Saudi and Egypt. Yes. So that's a three gigawatt project, right? Um, which is very, very interesting, uh, connecting for the first time then different countries in, in uh, Middle East. But potentially, this is the first stepping stone for us to connect Sahara and the desert of Sahara and show that it's possible political stable to connect Sahara, son yeah. of Sahara to Europe. This is bringing to mind uh, desert tech. Desert tech, yes, in the, in the, <laughs> as the concept is correct, uh, yeah, the yeah. technology is Jeez. available, but mm-hmm. the political situation has not been in, uh, stable yeah. enough to attract the financial close for these kind of projects. But Saudi Egypt is probably a first stepping stone to see if we can have other interconnectors from mm-hmm. from Egypt to Europe or from Saudi and then further on. Mm-hmm. And then we are working on Project Lightning, which is a, a very interesting project where we are actually taking power from shore, from sun and nuclear in UAE, mm-hmm. empowering uh, oil and gas platforms instead of burning uh, oh. non-clean gas. Yeah. So yeah. it's a 3.2 gigawatt project as well that where we are empowering uh, all these platforms. My goodness. Yeah. That's it's a, a huge saving in terms of CO2 footprint from that production. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we have uh, uh, we have pioneered that solution in the in the Norwegian shelf together mm-hmm. with Equinor in the past and now we have taken that to another part of the world. So mm. really interesting projects ongoing. They certainly are. What would be your, your sort of message to the market about um, interconnector projects? What, what, what would you say to be keeping an eye on? What markets are looking um, exciting? So as I mentioned, I think from an excitement perspective, Europe is extremely exci- yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, Middle East is popping up. US is extremely exciting as well, uh, as long as the permitting processes can be uh, managed there. And then, of course, China and India is interesting for, for this technology as well. Mm. Uh, what we are looking into now is how the industry can make sure that this happens. Yeah. So we are, of course, talking a lot about having the right business model, the right type of partnerships to execute this vast amount of projects that are coming. Uh, and that is key, that we as a technology owner focus on technology and do what we can do best and then find other partners to do construction or cable or platform uh, in a different shape and form compared to the past where this was an Mm -hmm. EPC-based market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have been very successful in actually driving this uh, in the right way because what we can do to accelerate this Mm -hmm. is to scale on the technology side. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what we have the competence. So that's why we are talking so much about having the right setup, the right partnership, the right business model, so we can scale to the need of the market. Absolutely. And do you see project finance playing a significant role in the deals that you're going doing? Yeah, I mean, more and more. Yeah. Um, we used to say in HDs, there are a lot of good opportunities in the market to project finance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there are not so many that actually have been merchant, uh, mm-hmm. really implemented, right. fully merchant. Yeah. There has more or less always been a utility backing up or... Yeah. Uh, and so on. But this is now coming stronger and stronger. And as you said, there are a couple here in Europe now that is coming to financial close. And we look forward to US as well to see mm. that they are coming there. But so far, product finance has, of course, a lot of produce being product finance, but with the backing of a utility or yeah. an oil and gas yeah. company yeah. in the past. But we do see that this is going to be the instrument to, to speed up the implementation in this market. How about um, supply chain issues? Have there have there been any issues over supply chain? I mean, I think we, we see what what the rest of the industry see. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, the shortage of electronic components yeah. Uh, yeah. is a factor. So far, we have been able to manage that. We don't use uh, hundreds and thousands of these components. Yeah. We use thousands of them. Uh, we have been able to manage that supply chain, but we do see disturbances there. Mm-hmm. We do see also the high inflation coming now. Mm-hmm. The, the war Ukraine Russia of course is impacting the price and the availability of uh, various uh, uh, metal uh, metals and transportation and logistic is going up because of the energy being more expensive yes. yes so of course we do see impacts but so far we have been able even during corona mm-hmm. to execute all these projects on time Mm. Uh, a tremendous effort done together with customers, especially here in UK. Yeah. So if you take the NSL project and the IFA2 project, uh, we did them on time uh, during Corona as well. So a great focus and great collaboration. Mm. Fantastic. What about skills? What would you say um, are important on that front? So again, the uh, what, where we can grow and support this industry and this market is on our technology. And of mm-hmm. course, we, we are focusing a lot on training um, and uh, attracting the right uh, talent, the mm-hmm. right people. Uh, but we have a lot of in-house training yeah. uh, to yeah. develop our own skills for what we can do best. Mm-hmm. So it's a challenge, but uh, we take on this challenge. We start early with the... Uh, universities uh, and so on to make sure that we can attract the right people to this fantastic, interesting market, which has a great purpose. Yes. To actually make Europe green. Yeah. Um, Everyone's in the same boat there, trying to get the right people in, get them on the right path. At that early early stage in their careers, you may not know this, but I actually stepped out of journalism for three years when I went into headhunting in infrastructure and energy, of course. And uh, yeah, the, the getting the right sort of person, the right mind and the, with that desire to do it. And given the drive of young people nowadays or graduates nowadays to actually get involved in something that makes a difference. I can understand that um, seeing something like Itachi Energy with interconnectors, well, that's making a significant impact on large swathes, big countries and uh, large communities. So this should surely should be something to be of interest in. Absolutely. And we do see uh, more than before, actually, people finding their way to our industry and to our application, which is fantastic. Yeah, great stuff. Well, 
Nicholas, this has been very interesting. I think I understand um, interconnectors far better now, and I hope some of the people who are lending millions of dollars to them and buying and selling them, not so much selling, but buying, um, maybe they understand it a little bit better too. Um, Nicholas, this has been very interesting. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to join me today on InfraDig, in person no less. Um, I don't doubt this is an area we will be delving into again in the future, and hopefully we'll have you back uh, for another discussion as the market evolves. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Not at all. Um, and I'm looking forward to that next discussion because things are moving fast. Abso absolutely. And we are, we are here to, uh, to talk to you and, and to the, the wider community because this is exciting. It certainly is. Nicholas, thank you very much. And as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us on the InfraDig podcast. Please feel free to share, like, follow. I think that's what everyone else says. So I might as well say it as well on whatever platform you favor. Goodness knows how many of them out there are out there. We leave you today in the eternal hope that once again, you have found this to be anything but InfraDig. <laughs>